Welcome to the RE Podcast, the first dedicated RE podcast for students and teachers. Season 4, Episode 5, the one about the Beatitudes. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this is the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is, and I'll prove it to you. Now, I'm actually recording this episode while I'm isolating at home. So I caught COVID from my school on September 16th. So I have to isolate for 10 days, which is fine. I've been double jabbed. I'm not feeling too bad. Just feel like I've got a bit of a cold, but it's massively inconvenient to people. So it's anecdotal evidence that maybe schools do spread COVID. Just a thought. Now, in this episode, I'm going to be delving into the Beatitudes. What people sometimes don't realise is that Jesus lived an ordinary life as a Jewish man working as a carpenter for the first 30 years of his life. And then he was crucified at 33. In those three years between 30 and 33, that's when Jesus said all of his parables, all of his teachings and did all of his miracles. His teachings were so popular that he often had thousands of people following him around. Now, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, they didn't have a PA system, so Jesus would often stand on hills so people could hear him. One of his most famous teachings we know as the Beatitudes. Beatitudes is Latin for blessed. So basically, Jesus lists reasons why certain groups in society are going to be happy. But they're not quite the people you would expect. How blessed are the sorrowful. They shall find consolation. How blessed are those of gentle spirit. They shall have the earth for their possession. How blessed are those who hunger and thirst to see right prevail. They shall be satisfied. How blessed are those whose hearts are pure. They shall see God. Speak up! Quiet, Mum. You can go to a stoning any time. Oh, come on, Brian. Could you be quiet, please? What was that? I think it was blessed are the cheesemakers. What's so special about the cheesemakers? Well, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. And you hear that? Blessed are the Greek. The Greek. Mm. Well, apparently, he's going to inherit the earth. Did anyone catch his name? Also, they are part of a bigger set of teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. Literally, teachings from the top of a mountain. So, Jesus starts in his Beatitudes by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hmm, poor in spirit. I think we all know someone who is poor in spirit. Maybe we're feeling a little poor in spirit at the moment. But what Jesus was probably referring to are those who are living without God. Some Christians talk about there being a God-shaped hole in your life, a void that cannot be filled by anything else. It goes back to the story of the Garden of Eden. We were made in God's image with the breath of life breathed into us. When we sinned, we became separated from God. We lost that relationship with him and were rejected from the Garden of Eden, no longer able to eat from the tree of life. Essentially, we lost eternal life. The consequence of this also meant we would be at odds with nature would have to work hard, have increased pain. Women would have to be ruled by their husbands. So you can understand why people would be poor in spirit. 
Christians believe that anything else we fill our life with, money, success, relationships, material possessions, experiences, will only partially fill this hole. In order to feel rich in spirit, we have to come back to the kingdom of heaven, that is, gain back our eternal life and our relationship with God. So to be reconciled with God through Jesus' death on the cross. So he took our punishment, our separation from God, on himself when he died on the cross. But does it have a more universal meaning? It is about people who realise there is something wrong and take positive steps to overcome it. It's a cliche, but the first step to overcoming a problem is realising you have one. But it's a cliche because it's true. There are so many examples of people who have used a difficult situation to grow and achieve more than they thought was possible. Let me tell you a lovely story about a farmer and his donkey. One day, a farmer's donkey fell down into a well. The animal cried for hours as the farmer tried to figure out what to do. Finally, he decided the animal was old and the well needed to be covered up anyway. It just wasn't worth it to retrieve the donkey. So he invited all of his neighbours to come over and help him. They all grabbed a shovel and began to shovel dirt into the well. At first, the donkey realised what was happening and cried horribly. Then, to everyone's amazement, he quietened down. A few shovel loads later, the farmer finally looked down into the well. He was astonished at what he saw. With each shovel of dirt that hit his back, the donkey was doing something amazing. He'd shake it off, pound it into the ground, and take a step up. As the neighbours continued to shovel dirt on top of the animal, he would shake it off and take another step up. Pretty soon, everyone was amazed as the donkey stepped up over the edge of the well and happily trotted off. Life is going to shovel dirt on you, all kinds of dirt. The trick to getting out of the well is to shake it off and take a step up. Each of our troubles is a stepping stone. We can get out of the deepest wells just by not stopping, never giving up. Shake it off and take a step up. I bet not many of you saw the parallels between Taylor Swift and the Bible. Anyway, the next one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It could be literal, so those who cry over a death will feel much happier when a loved one comforts them. Or it could have a more spiritual meaning and mean repentant. If you are sorry for what you have done, you will receive forgiveness. Admitting to doing something wrong is so healing. It shows humility. It shows grace. And to give someone the opportunity to forgive you only has benefits to them and to you. But it isn't easy. However, it will unburden you of guilt and regret and recrimination. Also, the idea of repentance literally means to turn your back on what you have done wrong and go in a better direction. This could mean trying not to repeat that action again or not keep replaying it over and over again. Not get on the train of regret as it will only take you to a destination you do not want to go to. Let me explain. Have you ever seen a bad film? I'm sure you have. Did you say to yourself, well, there's £10 and two hours of my life I'll never get back? Yep, me too. How many of you went back the next day and paid to watch the same film? Of course not. Neither would you wait until it came out on a streaming platform and watch it again from home. Neither would you suggest other people watch it. What films do we watch again? The ones we love. For me, it's Cinema Paradiso. I love it. If you haven't seen it, I totally recommend it. It's set in a little fishing village in Sicily during the Second World War. 
The village gets a cinema, which becomes a focus for life in the village, where people grow up and connect and fall in love and make friends. But the films are heavily censored by the local priest. Now, a little boy called Toto falls in love with cinema and spends all his time and his mother's money there, against the wishes of his mother, of course. Alfredo is the projectionist, and he becomes a surrogate father to Toto while his own father is away at war. I've lost count of the times I've watched it, but I still cry with the beauty of the last scene where the now grown-up Toto, a famous film director, is played a reel of film from his past. I won't spoil it, but please watch it. I wonder what film you watch over and over again. So if we understand this concept in films, why don't we understand it in life? We replay the bad films, the difficult parts, the hurts, the frustration, the depressions over and over again. And each time it triggers the same emotions. Now, I'm not for one minute saying we should suppress negative feelings. That is not healthy. You have to process these things. I'm saying don't meditate on them over and over again. When a difficult memory arises, acknowledge it. Observe it for a minute. Identify the feeling associated with it. And then let it pass. And remind yourself of a positive truth. Let me give you a personal experience. I was recently reminded of something someone very close to me did years ago that had really betrayed me. I'd spent a long time dealing with that hurt and anger and thought I'd moved past it, but when I was reminded of it, I was aware of those old emotions. I sat with the emotion for a bit, identified them, and then moved past them, reminding myself that the action was done out of their hurt, a hurt which they still have to live with, and that their actions are currently of no consequence to my life today. I can also explain it with the use of trains at a train station. If you are standing at a platform, lots of trains will stop in front of you. Each train has their destination written on the front. You need to acknowledge each train as it arrives. Look at which destination it is going to. And if it's one where you want to go, then you're going to get on it. If it's not going where you want to go, you're not going to get on. Neither are you going to get on every train that comes along. That would be silly. So it is with thoughts. Lots of thoughts will come into your mind. Not all thoughts are going to take you to where you want to go. Self-doubt, unforgiveness, self-criticism, anger. So observe these, acknowledge where they will take you, and decide whether or not to get on board. If not, let them pass. If a thought comes along which is gratitude or self-affirmation or kindness, then maybe go with that one. It's a cliche to say that you are not your thoughts, you are the person observing your thoughts. But it's a cliche because it's true. Other people often hinder this too. They often confirm the negative, re-establish the negative narrative, remind you of your mistakes, cement the belief that you are a victim who was done wrong to. So be careful who you talk to. Find someone or a group of people who help you get on the right train. The one to empowerment, not the one to self-recrimination and bitterness. But remember, you are in control of your thoughts. They are not in control of you. I mean, there's evidence you can actually manipulate your mind. If you do a brain scan of someone before and after they train to be a London taxi driver, there is actually a growth in their hippocampus. That's the area of the brain that plans routes. As part of their training, they have to learn by heart every road within a two-mile radius of Charing Cross Station. So, if we train our brains, we can impact, for example, the frontal lobe, the part of the brain which controls emotions. Sam Harris is famously an atheist, but promotes meditation and mindfulness because there is scientific evidence of the positive impact on the brain. 
In 2005, Anthony Walker was murdered in a racially motivated attack in Liverpool. Both his mother and sister chose to forgive the killers. His sister said that unforgiveness made her ill. His mum said that losing a son was burden enough and hatred and bitterness and revenge are heavy weights to carry around on top. So she chose to offload them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The third group that are blessed are the meek. Oh, he's blessed are the meek. Oh, they have an hell of a time. They will inherit the earth. This is most likely talking about humility and selflessness, not about people who are physically weak. What do those words mean? Humility means not thinking you are more important than anyone else, or not thinking that your problems are worse than anyone else's. Selflessness means putting others before yourselves. In a religious context, this would be people who are obedient to God, who put God first, or who think that God's will is more important than their own. But it has general relevance to us all, I think. The biggest problem facing us today, I believe, is the climate crisis. Let's listen to this beatitude in the context of global warming. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Often as humans, we're quite selfish. We take the easy option that suits us. We take whatever we want from the earth without too much thought about the consequences. We want to progress technologically. In some ways, this is quite egotistical. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. If we were humble and considered the wider implication of our actions, then we would protect this earth and we'd get to enjoy it. All the evidence suggests that if we go up against the earth, the earth will win. If we put the earth first, then we will enjoy her at her best. When there is a threat to Mother Nature, then extinction happens. If we cut down our oxygen supply, upset the balance of nature, we'll get increasingly worse weather, extinction of food sources will you can see what might happen to humans. The next one says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now I wonder what you are hungry for. It might be a cinnamon swirl. Mmm, cinnamon swirl. It might be world peace. But this is saying if you want something enough, then you'll get it. It's about passion. It's about drive. It's about dreams. In a religious context, this is talking about Jesus. So righteousness is being right before God. And for Christians, this is only achievable through Jesus, as he died for us so we can be forgiven and made perfect. But I think a lot of us want to be the best version of ourselves, to find a clan, to find our passion, to achieve. Again, the language here suggests it's not easy. There is a discomfort to it, but it is achievable. I'm reminded of the company Mindful Chef. It was started in 2015 by two young men, Miles Hopper and Giles Humphreys, who wanted to help people lead healthier lifestyles by making up food boxes with recipes using locally sourced ingredients sourced from small ethical suppliers. When they started, they were working seven days a week, 18 hours a day, taking orders and delivering food by hand. It is now a national company which has shipped over 10 million 
food parcels, as well as given loads of stuff to charity. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What is this for you? Okay, next one. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What does it mean to show mercy? When I was a kid, I don't know about you, but we used to play this awful game where you would hold the hands of someone in front of you and you would both twist each other's arms until one gave up and said mercy. Terrible game. Tweet me if you played it at the RE Podcast 1. Anyway, mercy is showing forgiveness, graciousness and kindness to those who wrong us. So it's saying that if you show mercy, mercy will be shown to you. Makes sense. For Christians, this is mercy from God. Christians believe that sin is punishable by death. But if you believe in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. God will show you mercy and you will go to heaven. So therefore, you should treat others with mercy too. However, I think we all want people to show us mercy. And the way to get that is to show mercy to others. But I think it has a wider meaning than even that. It's karma. You reap what you sow. How you treat people will impact on how people treat you. I don't know about you, but I often have higher expectations on other people than I have of myself. Was it Gandhi that said, be the change you wish to see in the world? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The next one says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. For Christians, this means that if they are forgiven, they are cleansed from their sin and will be able to go to heaven. But what application does it have for you if you don't believe in God? Seems to be about motivation. Look at your motivation for doing things. Are they selfish or selfless? Are they trying to show you in a good light or shine a light on others? Is there any sort of vengeance involved? If we check our motives are pure, I'm not sure we'll see God, but I think we will feel our best selves and the world will be a much better place. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I was in a lesson in a school in Ipswich teaching a year 10 lesson on pacifism. One of the students put his hand up and asked if I was a pacifist. I told him I was. He then asked me if I ate meat. I said I did. He said if I ate meat, then I wasn't a pacifist. Well, that shut me right up. I was totally owned by this young man. And it was a personal challenge to me. It happened to be the first day of Lent, so I informed him that because of what he said, I was going to give up meat for Lent. That was 2016, and I haven't eaten meat since except an accidental fish finger in November 2016 and an accidental prawn summer 2017. Interestingly, in the book of Genesis, when God made humans, he tells them only to eat fruit with seeds in it. So being a peacemaker has all sorts of meanings. It could be campaigning against war, helping friends who are having an argument to reconcile, being at peace with yourself, or living at harmony with nature. We are currently ravaging throughout nature in a violent and destructive way. What would it look like to be at peace with nature? To work in harmony with it? Let's look at our relationships with others. We may not be physically or actually fighting, but is there discord within some of our relationships? What would it look like to live at peace with everyone? How do we feel about ourselves? Are we at war with ourselves? Do we not accept ourselves? Do we criticise ourselves for our mistakes or flaws? Let's look at it in the context that Jesus was speaking in at the time. He was living in an occupied land where his people were persecuted at the hands of the Romans. There were regular uprisings from the Jewish people against the Romans. There was even conflict within Judaism and all the different factions, the Pharisees, the Samaritans, they weren't all considered good by most people, 
the Essenes, John the Baptist was one of those bad boys. So this would have really resonated with and challenged people listening to Jesus at the time, but I think 2,000 years later, still does. So let's imagine a world where we lived at peace with ourselves, lived at peace with each other, lived at peace with the world, and lived at peace with nature. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I wonder who you think of when you consider those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Could be the Jews, the Christians, the Muslims, the suffragettes, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Greta Thunberg, human rights campaigners, the kid in your class who's bullied for being a good student. What world would we live in if someone hadn't stood up for the end of segregation, equal rights for women, the legalisation of homosexuality? For Christians, they think that if you are attacked for your beliefs, then you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I mean, whether you're a Christian or not, the historical Jesus suffered a lot at the hands of the Romans. I mean, they really know how to cause pain. There is a quote that says, if you stand for nothing, you will fall for everything. I guess this is about having integrity and not worrying about what people think of you because those who mind don't matter and those who matter won't mind. But what is it you believe is right? What would you be willing to be shouted down by others for? I don't know if you will receive the kingdom of heaven, but maybe you will just make someone else's life a little bit more like heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things I find the hardest to cope with is when people say false things about me or accuse me of something I haven't done. I think my own ego plus my need for justice work together, so I just can't let it go. I have to clear my name. And it's always a pretty futile and exhausting endeavour. So you can imagine my indignation when I read the following. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Hang on a cotton pitten minute. Not happy when people falsely say all kinds of evil against me. Sad when people falsely say all kinds of evil things against me. So what is this talking about? Now, if you notice, it actually says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I mean, I mean not me. It's Jesus saying this. So, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. So, this is just for Christians. Phew! And why should they be happy about this? Because they're going to get rewards in heaven. Yay for them! wonder what those rewards might be. Maybe it's some of that wine Jesus is so good at making. But the reality is, is that according to Open Doors, an international charity which supports persecuted Christians around the world, there are 260 million Christians that are persecuted around the world. In the top 10 countries for persecuted Christians, we have, in 10th place, India, 9, Nigeria, 8, Iran, 7, Yemen, 6, Eritrea, 5, Pakistan, 4, Libya, 2, Afghanistan, and coming in at number one is North Korea. But is there anything in there for non-Christians? Is there a way we can be happy when we are insulted? I mean, there are certainly tricks for not letting those words impact us, but I'm not sure about being happy about it. But what I certainly learned from this is the impact of angry and destructive words. So what are my final thoughts? Well, essentially that life and humans haven't changed much in 2000 years. The words of Jesus from Matthew 5, spoken from a hill so long ago, still resonate with Christians and non-Christians today. In fact, if Jesus was living on earth today and broadcast to millions around the world, what would he say? 
why don't you get in touch with your modern day Beatitudes? What do you think Jesus would tell us today? But anyway, let's try and have a Beatitude. Just interesting to know that Jesus goes on to talk about lots of different things that are quite famous. So he starts talking about salt and light, that we should make the world tasty and bring light to those you meet. Essentially, let's make the world better. He goes on to remind everyone that he hadn't come to replace the law, but fulfill it. If you haven't listened to my episode on Messianic Judaism, then this is a little nod to that. As a reminder not to murder people, but also not to be angry with people and not to do anything while you are angry with someone. Don't commit adultery, don't get divorced, don't break your promises, look for justice, not revenge, love your enemies, give to the needy, but do it secretly, pray privately. Oh, and this is where he teaches people how to pray using the Lord's Prayer. Note to self, a future episode right there. Don't show off when you fast, don't focus on material wealth because you can't take it with you, don't worry, don't judge people. If you want something, ask for it. Life is hard, but don't take the easy option. There will be fake news. People base their life on things that will fall apart. Goodness, he said some good stuff, this Jesus fella. My name is Louisa Jane Smith, and this has been the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is. I just proved it to you, but thank you so much for letting me bore the life out of you.